0: Uh, If you brought your Bible this morning, you can pull it out and go to 1 Kings 17. If you brought your phone this morning and you have reception by God's grace, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 17. We are kicking off a new series. Um, This had always been our planned series and our planned scripture this morning. It seems even more appropriate just in light of what God is doing in our community and in our world. Um, As you know, most cultures around the world, I would say, in my, in my humble opinion, most cultures around the world are more affectionate than American culture. So in an Italian culture, in a Hispanic culture, various cultures, if you greet somebody, you know, the way that you greet somebody, right, is you lean in and you give them a kiss. You give them a kiss. So I was on a summer missions team um, in Mexico City, my sophomore year of college, and we were a part of this church. It was our first Sunday in that church in Mexico City, and it was just a wonderful reception, super gracious and hospitable. And so, of course, everybody was supposed to greet in the church, myself and my fellow uh, guy partner um, that were there ministering for the summer, both uh, 20, 21-year-old college guys. And the young ladies of the church began to realize that there was a really unique opportunity that they got to come up and kiss the uh, the young missionary men um, so, as this, there's sort of a line that begins to form just next to us. And of course, this is totally new for us, but there's a lot of hospitality taking place. The pastor stopped the service, stopped the greeting time, and said, you know, unilaterally, for the remainder of the summer, while these two boys are here, there will be no more kissing uh, in church. So, um, What I learned, I'm now putting into practice here. So I'm just going to ask everybody for the next several weeks as we're dealing with this virus outbreak and the potential of it, please don't kiss each other. Fair enough. Paul talks about the holy kiss. Save that for another time, another place. Um, But we do know that God's in control. We do know that God is good. We do know that God has power over all things. God is powerful over even illness. And more importantly, God is powerful over death. God is powerful over death. The series that we're beginning as we start here in the Old Testament and ultimately come to Jesus is called From Death to Life. Because we're gonna remember and recognize that as the song says, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Right? The power that God has to raise Jesus from the dead and others as we're gonna see in the scripture this morning, that power God has put in us. It's not my power, but it's his power in me and through me. And this is gonna take us all the way up to Easter as we ultimately celebrate the greatest resurrection of all time, the permanent resurrection where Jesus died, rose again, and is alive eternally and has made a way for us to do the same. And this is incredibly important because as you are well aware, we live in a culture, we live in a society where many people um, do not believe that God is real, Or they may believe, yes, God is real, but Christianity or Jesus Christ is just one of many ways, right? There's many ways up the mountain. There's many ways, different religions, and they all lead to the same thing. But the resurrection says different. The power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, the fact that Jesus is alive, tells us something different. So we're going to go to the scripture now this morning. I'm going to read to you just the ending of 1 Kings chapter 17 so we can see a resurrection story taking place here in the Old Testament. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Amen? Let's take a moment and let's pray together to the God of truth. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Let us apply it to our lives, Lord. Give us the confidence and the grace that comes from the truth of your gospel this morning. We are thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes Mental notes or paper notes this morning, three applications from God's Word here that I want to give us. Three applications. God's power to raise the dead to life calls us to these three things. A boldness of faith, a dependence of faith, and a response of faith. A boldness of faith, a dependence of faith, and a response of faith. First of all, if we go back to the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of this story in chapter 17 and verse 1, we see a boldness of faith taking place. Listen to the first five verses that gives us the context for this story. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. No rain. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. What's taking place here? Elijah the prophet was commanded to a boldness of faith in the Lord, in the face of death. Now, Elijah is remembered in the Old Testament as the greatest prophet in the history of Israel, in the history of Scripture. Elijah's name actually means the Lord is God. And the mission of Elijah's life from this point forward is going to be to prove, to demonstrate, to reaffirm that the Lord is God, that he is the one true God, in fact. Even in the face of death, this will be his purpose. He's got two major situations, two major threats that he is dealing with. The first here is from uh, a guy named King Ahab. Ahab is actually the 19th king of all of Israel. Um, and the Bible says of Ahab a little bit earlier, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Okay, it was not an easy thing to get the title worst king of Israel, but this guy wins it. He gets the worst king of Israel award. One of the cool things that he did is he marries a lady named Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of Jezebel, right? Everybody thinks when they want to name their child Jezebel, that'd be a nice name. Jezebel, who comes from the land of Sidon, brought with her the false gods of Baal and Asherah. And just for fun, uh, Ahab and Jezebel together go on a killing spree and murder all of the prophets of God or the vast majority of them. In fact, Elijah is one of just a few that are remaining. This is the context by which Elijah gets his first job from God. And his first job is go talk to Ahab, and go tell him because of your wickedness that there will be no rain on the earth. Because of your perverse ways, because of your worship of the false god, because of you leading the nation of Israel away from me, there will be no rain in Israel until I say so. And that word will come through this man, Elijah. Verse 3 says then that God tells Elijah, after he faithfully delivers this message, to go and hide. You can understand why. He goes and hides. God sends him literally to the brook Cherith, which is just outside of Ahab's hometown, just to demonstrate super clearly that God is in control in difficult circumstances. You know, obedience to God is hard, right? Obedience to God is hard because obedience to God is important. Following what the Lord says matters, and it's in moments like this that we see it the most clearly. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you thought, I know I'm supposed to obey God, but it's just really, really hard? You've been there? You have to show your hand, but right, we've been there man, God, this is a difficult situation. You're telling me that you want me to speak and show the love of Jesus in a crisis? I don't know if I can do that. You're saying that you want me to take the time to get involved in this thing, in this situation, in this person's life? Man, obedience is hard because obedience is important. You know, we've been given a phenomenal, a powerful opportunity to share with people that the Bible is real that Jesus is real, that Jesus is alive, and that he's the one true hope. What encourages me most, just about this little snippet of the passage, is the Spirit of God here does not raise up a massive army to mow down the, the enemy troops, to take Ahab off the throne. No, no. He raises up one faithful believer. He calls that one faithful believer to speak the truth and to trust him boldly in faith, and God works his plan through one person. God calls you, one person, right where you are, not because of your ability, not because of your qualifications, but because he is God, because he has the power to work in and through you. Second problem, there's a drought. God says, through Elijah, no more rain. You you may have a similar question. Um, Your question is not, God, why is there no rain? But your question today could very real, very realistically be, God, why have you sent this virus? Why have you sent this illness? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. But the scripture gives me the answer to that question in this situation. And I believe that we can apply the reality of what we see here. What's going on here is God is picking a fight with the false God of Baal. God is picking a fight with the lies that exist in the community that he wants to change. And so Ahab's pet god, Ahab's pet god, Baal, was known as the rainmaker. Okay, so they would pray to Baal and say, please send rain. And so God says, just so we're clear, I'm cutting off the rain because I am in control. Now, have you ever obeyed God and you found that after you obeyed God, it got worse? You ever been there? Elijah says it's not gonna rain, and guess what? It doesn't rain. It gets worse. And guys, just so we're clear, not having rain is way worse than not having hand sanitizer, right? The situation here is so, so much scarier for Elijah and for the people of God that are dealing with this. It reminds us of this. God's power can handle crisis, amen? God's power can handle it what happens here is God protects Elijah at a brook in Ahab's hometown. And God's gonna do a miracle and he's gonna send ravens and these ravens are literally gonna be delivering what I can only imagine was ramen and spam. And so these ravens are coming every day and every night and delivering to Elijah exactly what he needs and being provided for the water from the river. God does a miracle. And that's because God's power doesn't just find a way through disaster, God's power uses disaster for his good, for your good, and for his glory. You understand what I'm saying? God doesn't just react to situations and go, wow, I didn't see that coming. God orchestrates. God is good. God is powerful. Do you believe that this morning? We are called to be bold in faith, in the face of death, Lord, in the middle of suffering, I trust that you are on the throne. Jesus, even though I continue to struggle with the same sin over and over again, I trust that you are a good God who can forgive me. I trust you that you have called me to share with boldness the bad news of the gospel, that people are sinners and we deserve death, and trust you with boldness to share the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has made a way of salvation and a way of forgiveness. Lord, I trust you that you are working in me. I trust you that even if I get sick or I face a trial or I face persecution, even if I face death, I trust you that eternity in heaven is real. My faith is in you, amen? Scripture not only calls us to a boldness of faith, but number two, it calls us to a dependence of faith. Let me continue on in the passage here. This is verses seven through 12 that shows us some dependence. After a while, the brook dried up, says verse seven because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, He called to her and said, "'Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand.' And she said, "'As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die.'" Whoa. (laughs) Wow. Wow. The widow here teaches us a, a position of faith dependence on God. Okay? She is a widow. She has no husband, which means she has little to no income. She has little to no protection in a culture and in a day and age like this. She is a single mom, which means whatever she has, she has to find a way to provide for her son first. She's dealing with poverty already, and you can add drought on top of that. And so her perspective on life is we're going home to eat our last meal and die. She's also a pagan. She is from Jezebel's home country, not far from Jezebel's hometown in Sidon. But check this out. In the New Testament, Jesus' very first sermon that he gives in his hometown, it's in Luke chapter 4. Do you know what the topic of that sermon is? Jesus says that I have come to bring grace and hope to rescue that specific widow from this storyline, making it clear that the gospel is going to be for all people, even specifically this woman. And we're going to see this woman's faith, a faith of dependence, emerge. It's clear even from the Old Testament here that no matter who you are, what you have done, what mistakes you have and what your past is, that God is a God who is in the business of redeeming and saving lives and forgiving sin. And it starts here with this woman. And it continues with you. You are dependent on him in every way. You are dependent first and foremost upon his grace and mercy for salvation. But then let's take it a step further. Do you know that in Scripture you are called to brag about your weakness? That you are called to brag about your dependence on God? Listen to Paul in the New Testament. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, famous passage. My grace is sufficient for you, says Jesus. For my power is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast... All the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Sometimes God takes away everything to show you that all you needed in the first place was Him. You ever been there? Sometimes our strengths, our abilities, our self reliance is the very thing that leads us to forget God. You understand that? Sometimes our strengths are our worst enemy because they're the things that make us think that we can do it on our own apart from Christ. So beware of your strengths. God wants us to boast in our dependence. You know, I realize that more clearly than ever, the last two nights as I wake up at 4 a.m. and I'm thinking about everything that's going on, my, my heart moves me to plan and my, my heart moves me to check social media and find out what's going on. I need to to know and I need to plan. My heart needs to move me more and more by the grace and the Spirit of God to pray. You understand that? I'm not telling you I'm doing a great job. I'm asking you to join me in repenting of that, that I don't need to have all the plans. I'm not saying be foolish. I'm saying more powerful than my plans is prayer. I believe that and I want God to work in me that I would live that way. When life feels very normal and stable and when life feels A little bit chaotic. The widow, the widow was commanded to respond in faith. Chapter 17, verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. What? (laughs) I'm sorry, what, Elijah? That just feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? You just came into this. this woman. She clearly is in a place where life is hopeless and Elijah says, hey, before you feed yourself, feed me. I cannot imagine the shock or the confusion. What's going on here? First of all, this is not about Elijah. This is about God. This is about the voice of God speaking through Elijah and it is about faith. It's about her faith. It's about your faith. Do you honestly believe that God can do more with all that you have than you can do yourself? That's a real question. And she had to face it, and so do we. Do you believe that God can do more with all that you have? He can do more with it than you can do with it. God, my hands are open and everything I have is yours. I have faith in you, a dependent faith. right? Because trying to do life yourself apart from faith in God, is literally like hoarding toilet paper in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. You understand what I'm saying? Stop trying to do it yourself. Toilet paper's not gonna save us. Your abilities are not gonna save us. Why can I have that level of faith? Why do I have such dependence in God? Because, as we see here again, God's promises are true. 1 Kings 17, verse 14, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. The widow's oil and the widow's flour do not run out. What was that like? You pour the jar, it just keeps pouring. I don't know. But she kept pouring, and there was more. She grabbed the flour tipped it over, and there was more, and there was more, and there was more. James and Luke in the New Testament both tell us that this drought lasted for three and a half years. Don't tell me it's not a miracle. It is a miracle, right? There's no Sam's Club to run to, guys. There is no Costco in Sidon. We cannot even begin to imagine what she was experiencing in this moment. But by God's grace, he has sent our own little mini disaster to help us understand these same truths and realities. God provided a miracle, ravens for food. God provides another miracle, oil and flour, and they don't run out. Elijah and the widow learn, it's not about my ability. It's about dependence on him. God is infinitely able and powerful to rescue them. So Elijah says, have no fear. What about the Psalms? Psalm 23 comes to mind perfectly here, right? Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You believe that? You believe that if you've fallen into depression or that you've lost your job, or your best friend or your 401k just disappeared do you believe that if you get deathly sick that god is with you do you believe that though your sin is great that god's grace is greater it's the truth of the gospel do you believe that god is powerful that you can be dependent on him do you believe that god has power over even death Number three, a response of faith. Look to the scripture again. This is verse 17 through 24. We started with it. We're going to end with it. After this, the son of the woman, verse 17, the mistress of the house became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, "'What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son.' And he said to her, "'Give me your son.' And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. And he revived And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. This passage calls us to a decision. Where is your faith? Is your faith in Baal or is your faith in God? Is your faith in your stuff or is your faith in God? Is your faith in any other supposed way to salvation or is your faith in God? See, what's clear here is God is the only one who can rescue from death. Baal can do nothing about this kid who has died. The resurrection is why God is the only true God. There's a lot of other reasons too, but this one is maybe the most powerful. This is an important scripture and an important series. I would encourage you, especially with everything that's going on, invite people to this time in our church's life as we unpack the reality of the resurrection because people have got to understand. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But everyone can come to the Father through me, through Jesus. If we do a survey, Muhammad, Buddha, Freud, Confucius, Joseph Smith, they got one thing in common— What's that? Yeah. All dead. They're all dead. We got one thing in common with them: Death is reality. Death is a reality for everyone, And not to be dramatic. But moments like this remind us that we tend to live our lives as if the temporary is important, instead of living as if the internal, the eternal, is the most important. We forget. You know, what, what percentage, right? What percentage? 100% is the mortality rate in every country from every time plane. And we do everything we can to stop the aging process. You can lift it, you can tuck it, you can tan it, you can tighten it, you can color it, you can tattoo it. It doesn't matter. We cannot stop the aging process. Look here what a faith-filled response to death looks like. The widow says, why did this happen? The widow admits that she is a sinner. Neither one of them blame God. Elijah does not explain it away with easy answers. He doesn't say, I'm sending you uh, positive vibes. No positive vibes here. Elijah doesn't tell her that if she just names it and claims it, that everything will be great. Her pain will go away. Her problems will be solved. She get a million dollars. He doesn't promise that kind of nonsense. He just goes to God and asks for mercy. He goes to God and asks for a miracle. He goes to God and he asks for life. So can we. Go to God and ask for life. This is a resurrection story. You know, this is the first resurrection in all of Scripture. If we start at Genesis 1 and begin to survey, which is what we're going to do, This is the first story of resurrection in all of the Bible. And did you notice that this story begins, this resurrection story begins with the question, is my son dying for my sin? You see, that is the question that this woman asks. And she's on to a little something. Did he? No. No, he did not die for her sin. And he cannot Die for her sin. Right? But there is one who can. Amen? God gave His only Son for you, for me. God sent His Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life, committed no sin, dies on a cross. Is dead for three days, and God raises him from the dead. In this story, Elijah, God's representative here on earth, stretches out over the boy three times and cries out for his life. You can imagine he's almost absorbing death into himself. God sent his son Jesus three days. In the ground, stretched himself first upon a cross and absorbed death into himself to make a way for your life. In doing so, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered Satan. Jesus conquered death. There's only one God who has gone through this. There's only one God who has conquered these things. There's only one God who is alive today and his name is Jesus He's made a way of salvation for us, for all who believe. Right? His resurrection demands a response. It demands a response of faith. Last verse of the story again, 17 and verse 24. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is is truth. Now I know. Think back to that weird awkward scene where where Elijah asks for food and drink first. And she's starving. Instead of meeting her physical needs, he asks for something. Then after the whole story and the widow has grown in faith and learned to trust God, her son dies. It's shocking, isn't it? But what if God has a bigger purpose here? What he's trying to make clear is that bringing you to salvation is more important than ending your starvation. Bringing you to eternal life is more important than providing for those physical needs, those emotional, all the different things that we may rightly even say, I need these things. God has the power to provide them all, but what he's showing this widow, she has seen the truth. Maybe you are in that same place. We go, I'm seeing the truth now for the first time. Or I've walked away from the Lord in different ways and I'm seeing the truth of God afresh and going, I have got to put my faith in him. If you've never done that before, I would encourage you this very morning, in the barn, ask Jesus to be your savior. And, if you're in a place where you go, man, I know this truth, but there are so many ways that I see in my own heart where I forget, where I wander. Lord, make me faithful once again to trust in your good promises. It's all about you. I trust you in boldness because I am dependent on you. Help me to respond in faith to whatever may lay ahead. Scripture says this, Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen.